tonight on The Deep End, we are talking about the problem of, and trigger warning, women in leadership. Yes, the university presidents at Harvard, MIT, and Penn are exposing something that is fatally wrong with Western culture, and I'm here to biblically present to you an alternative that will lead to joy. Plus, we got a whole bunch of other things to talk about. So many I can't list. Let's do it. The Deep End of Tim Hatch live. Yes, everybody, welcome in. It's been a two-week break from the deep end, but we are back with episode 11 of season seven on the deep end, and I am your humble host, Tim Hatch. And if you would be so kind as to follow us on all of our social media channels, but we've got some stuff to talk about, and that is the fact that we are being uh, given uh, exhibit A, B, and C of the problem with women in leadership. And mind you, I am not talking about business leadership, and I'm not talking about even some forms of civil leadership. I'm talking about the leadership of education, uh, instruction, development of the young. When men step back, women unfortunately have to step up and do what men should do. And this is not going to be a popular episode, and I totally understand it, but we're going to do it, and we're going to cover it, and I'm going to show you biblically why, and contextually in our context of of culture right now, why we need to re-examine what the scripture says about male leadership, male headship, because all the chaos on the political talking points of Hamas and Israel, all the outrage against Israel from our institutions of higher learning have their roots in a failure of men to lead and then women filling the gap in the name of equity, inclusion, equality, and feminism, but ultimately to the detriment of our young. So welcome into the channel. If you're here for the first time, this is The Deep End. We do The Deep End on Tuesday nights at 7.30. We do The Deep Dive on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Bible study tomorrow, culture and news today. And if you aren't aware, we also started a membership plan. If you are interested in joining us and helping support the content, there are the three tiers. Thank you for all of those who have signed up and you can join our Discord community. You can get inside sneak peeks at how we put our contact content together and then you get uh, shirts and books and all kinds of stuff and then also announcing the new swag shop at timhatchlive.com slash shop where you can get new uh, swag new articles of clothing bunch of things up there I think there's like 15 things for sale that helps the support channel helps get this content further than we've ever gone before but let's get back to the content because that's what you're here for and we'll do deep end news deep end news the news you choose if you could choose news Okay, so the question is simply this. Are Ivy League colleges endorsing anti-Semitism? And of course, if you're not living under a rock, you have probably heard the news that the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, the president of MIT, Sally Kornbluth, and the president of UPenn, or the University of Pennsylvania, Elizabeth McGill, all of them made headlines last week over their reluctance to punish kids who called for the eradication of Israel. Now, this is important, and language matters, because I am not saying that they didn't punish kids for holding certain views. I am saying that they refused to denounce the children or the even the calls for the genocide of the Jewish people. Now, they've been under fire for dogging simple questions uh, posed by Representative Elise Stefanik in Congress on whether or not calls for an intifada, which is an uprising against Jews. That's the, what the meaning of the word is. And an intifada means uprising. And it means, and it is a uh, colloquialism in the Arab world for extinguishing Jews and for uh, such phrases as river to the sea, Palestine will be free and by any means necessary, which means no matter what it takes, let's just get rid of the Jews. And they refused 
to base to answer simple questions. Does that violate their code of conduct as institutions of higher learning? And this is a synopsis. I'm not going to show you all the footage, but this is a brief synopsis of how they chose to respond to uh, Representative Stefanik's questions. Watch. The rules around bullying and harassment are quite specific. And if the context in which that language is used amounts to bullying and harassment, then we take we take action against it. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. The answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. Context, 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 context. Now, the backlash against these presidents has been enormous. Except for Saturday Night Live, where they thought that the real problem was how Elise Stefanik posed the questions, and they made a to totally unfunny segment cold open uh, based on that congressional hearing. But for the rest of the world, uh, those not... Uh, encapsulated in the bubble that is the elite capital of New York City in the fictional world of Pan Am, these presidents seemed completely outmatched and unbelievably obtuse about what should be a simple issue. Calling for the genocide or obliteration of any particular group should violate the codes of conducts at universities and students who call for them should be punished. Imagine if students in the lunchroom of Harvard were chanting, KKK slogans calling for the eradication of black people or Muslim students holding a protest to call for the death of gays by tossing them off buildings, which is what they literally do in Palestine. Uh, I imagine these presidents would take swift action against such speech, but it's the Jews. So near big deal, right? Well, there is a backlash, thankfully. The Daily Mail reporting the world is watching fire those hateful presidents now. Congressman Elise Stefanik shamed three top college bosses in infamous Jewish genocide row. Here she writes for the DailyMail.com to make her unswerving demand. And I got to give Elise Stefanik a lot of credit. Now, she's going to be hated by the media because she is a pro-Trump Republican. She's got an R next to her name, so that immediately makes her suspicious in the eyes of the media elites out there. Well, she has had a lot of impact. She's awoken an entire culture, an entire generation to the indoctrination of the elite universities of our of our. Uh, country. And I've reported about this on the channel. Those of you who are deep enders, you are not shocked. We've talked about this extensively. By the way, we talked about the fact that Qatar, an anti-Israeli government uh, filled with Arabs and the home of the Hamas president and leader right now, has been funding institutions of higher learning in our state, in our nation for a generation. Billions of dollars have poured in from anti-Israeli governments into the institutions of higher learning, and these presidents are afraid of offending their donor class. Well, so far, the hearing has cost at least one of those presidents their job, Elise McGill of the University of Pennsylvania, ten, tenor, ten, ten, tendered, tendered his rare resignation. And the New York Times reported that influential graduates questioned her leadership. Wealthy contributors moved to withdraw donations and public officials besieged the university uh, to oust its president. So she is gone, one down and several hundred more to go. If you think it's just three university presidents, you are ignorant. This is a systematic rot 
in the institution of higher learning in America. We are losing a generation to ideologies that are completely devoid of fact, historical context, and basic understanding of the human story. And when this happens, you have to ask yourself, how did we get here? Now, before we get to how we got there, we got to talk about the fact that Harvard has no intention of firing Claudine Gay. Uh, there is no such luck where she is. She has the full support of now, I think, over 700 administrators and professors to stay on despite her anti-Semitic ideologies. And now this news of uh, Claudine Gay, blatant plagiarism. The Daily Wire reporting that she is now under fire for basically lifting exact quotes for her doctrinal dissertation. Journalist Chris Rufo, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, published a report on Sunday outlining what he indicates to be three instances of gay plagiarizing per Harvard standards in the dissertation, taking charge, black electoral success, and the redefinition of American politics. Chris Burnett and I, this is Chris talking, have obtained documentation demonstrating that Harvard President Claudine Gay plagiarized multiple times on her PhD thesis, violating Harvard's policies. And later it says, in one instance, Gay is accused of lifting nearly verbatim work from Lawrence Bobo and Franklin Gilliam in their papers called Race, Sociopolitical Participation, and Black Empowerment. So you have in Harvard, as the president, Claudine Gay, who is refusing to punish students who call for the genocide of an entire group of people, which definitely does violate Harvard's uh, standard practices. It's just she's making an exception, I guess, when it comes to the Jewish race being called for an elimination of. And then you have her now credibly accused of plagiarism. Is Harvard going to oust her? Mm -mm, nope. Uh, 14 faculty members have called for her removal, but over, like I said, 700 employees of the institution. And by the way, these institutions are bloated with administrators. I think it's like one-to-one -one administrator staffing per student. And that's why it costs $80,000 to send your kid to these schools because they got to pay all those salaries. So she has 14 faculty members calling for her removal and over 790. Uh, this is a dated article from the Telegraph actually now. I just read the other day, today. Uh, 700. 90 have defended her and are standing for her. And the question must be asked about Claudine Gay. Really? Did you do that? Did you plagiarize? Are you serious? And I got to put the Urkel picture up there because come on, seriously. Anyway, this is Harvard, right? Harvard is all for equality. Harvard is going to look the other way, right? When, when smart students make a mistake, maybe those kids in the quad, uh, that are calling for an intifada, they're just mistaken. They're just misspeaking. There's an internal issue. No, they don't need to, they don't need to reprimand those kids. It's Harvard. They have a lot of grace for students, right? That's Harvard, right? No, it's not. Remember, it was just 2019 after the uh, horrific Parkland High School shooting where Harvard rescinded admission to an, a student, prospective student named Kyle Kashuv. Now, Kyle Kashuv survived the Parkland shooting in 2018, and then he refused to get on the gun control bandwagon and make all kinds of public appearances, calling for the elimination of private ownership of, of weaponry. And the deep state went to work and dug up his w couple of uses of the n-word on a group text to friends years earlier and though kyle profusely apologized the rejection stood and he did not end up going to harvard so are we following the logic here do not clearly denounce calls for the eradication of the jewish race and you can keep your presidential position at harvard but if you at any point in your history used a racial slur even in the presence of your friends alone then you are forever banned from the institution now I call that a two-tier level of justice, but who am I? Just a lowly 
podcaster. By the way, Harvard also has rules about using pronouns. They consider it abuse if you misgender somebody and they'll throw Title IX at you and accuse you of things like fat phobia, sizeism, cisheterosexism, or ableism. I mean, literally, Harvard has rules that if you use any kind of language that could offend fat people or homosexual people or disabled people or short or tall people, then you could be punished. But calling for the eradication of the Jewish people is okay? You're not going to be able to just simply state in a congressional hearing that that does violate your code of conduct and you're going to throw the word context out? In other news about Harvard's standards of practices, they have this weird power and control wheel that they give to the students, which has segments of a pie-shaped wheel here that talk about people who could possibly use their power and control in abusive and harmful ways, which could lead to disciplinary action on the part of the institution. And of course, there's the requisite huge pie for the anti-queer and anti-trans views, which are very uncalled for on the Harvard University campus. But again, calling for the eradication or intifada against Jews is okay in some context. Now, more evidence that Harvard is displaying a two-tier justice system. We found this from the today.com article page. Colleges are revoking admissions offers due to hate speech. Uh, This is not Harvard, but other colleges. Marquette revoked a lacrosse player's admission for trivializing George Floyd's death. All he did was question George Floyd's death. Maybe he found out that George Floyd was Floyd was high on fentanyl at the time of his arrest. Or maybe he watched the full footage where it showed that George Floyd resisted arrest for 45 minutes and physically entered into an altercation with arresting officers. And maybe he questioned some of the facts. So guess what Marquette did? You're not allowed to come to our school. A valedictorian was denied entry at the University of Florida for being racist. A Cornell University football recruit was rejected for using a racial slur. And all of those instances are fine. If you want to have certain standards as an institution of higher learning of who can and who cannot enter your school, you have the right to do that. Uh, Admission to Harvard is not a protected constitutional right or liberty. It is an opportunity afforded to you by the uh, Constitution of the United States, but Harvard can make whatever policies that they want uh, so so far as they don't break the laws of clear discrimination as to what kind of standards of morality they expect from their incoming freshmen. It's clear that the universities know how to discipline someone who holds offensive views and speaks offensive things. The question is, why are they so unwilling to do so when the person speaking offensive things is only offending the Jewish people? Like, words hurt, right? They don't want to hurt or offend anyone on college campuses anymore. We have been covering this ad nauseum on this channel for years. I guess... That's the case, except for when the words are calling for the genocide of Jews. Then it's context-based. Oh, and for the win, (laughs) Yale has taken firm action against all forms of anti-Palestinian sentiment. This was reported by Libs of TikTok. So here you have a picture of a menu item at the Yale University lunchroom where they have listed Israeli couscous salad with spinach and tomatoes. Well, guess what Yale has done? They have made sure that that anti-Palestinian pro-apartheid menu item 
is taken care of. And this picture was captured a couple of days later. Now it's just called cuckoo salad with spinach and tomatoes. So take the Israeli out because we don't want those fomenters of apartheid and colonialism uh, having any mention of food in the Yale lunchroom. That is insane. And that is a pretty much typifying what's going on in the elite universities of our country. They no longer teach. They indoctrinate. They no longer inform. They no longer expect students to actually stand up and do research or examine ideas and embrace different ideas and wrestle with hard and challenging concepts. No, it's basically about coddling a certain mindset and uh, really perpetuating some very far left-wing progressive ideologies upon the students of the next generation. And this has a cultural cost. It has a cultural cost on you as a parent, if you are one, you have to really take a good hard look at the university that you take your child to. You have to make sure that you check and do research on what they teach. What do they, what kind of students do they put out? What, what's their underlining philosophy? You know, the scriptures are very clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're not going to get wisdom. And the consequence of our higher education system jettisoning Christian faith, Christian traditions, God and the Bible from the process of education, these consequences are growing in um, representation and they're growing in exposure, thankfully, to the culture at large. I mean, I can thank those three presidents for at least letting the rest of the world know just how crazy and absurd you are becoming. This is unfortunately what we are dealing with right now. Anyway, kudos to this guy, Dr. Phil. Man, now that he's not on TV regularly, he can tell the truth about how he feels, and I'm liking how he feels. So he released this video, we're going to watch in just a moment, about this whole travesty and called it out for what it was, inept leadership and explicit bias against one particular race of people that is, I guess, an open, I guess we have an open season on the Jewish race. So, so watch this video. Great stuff, Dr. Phil. As an American, I grow increasingly appalled at the anti-Semitism permeating so much of our country, especially by so many students at our elite universities, which have become left liberal woke hotbeds, fostering intellectual rot rather than critical thinking and tolerated or endorsed by their administrations. It has sadly spread to corporate America as well. This weaponized prejudice has never been more on display than when university presidents from Harvard, MIT, and University of Pennsylvania testified on Capitol Hill with sickening smugness and condescending to that panel with an arrogance and dismissiveness seldom seen in that forum. Yeah. Um, later on, by the way, he goes on to talk about the context. When they throw out the term context, 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 uh, I didn't even know this. Dr. Phil evidently went to Israel and toured the sites and watched the videos of the uh, restricted footage that you're not allowed to see about Hamas's attack on uh, Israeli citizens back on October 7th. Watch this. Context. Okay, I'll give you some context. While you were intellectually selling out, bringing shame to your institutions and this country, I was working with the Israeli consulate, viewing the highly restricted footage of October 7th. From actual body cams of terrorists themselves, victim cell phones recovered from their dead, tortured, raped, desecrated bodies, as well as raw CCTV footage and other sources. 
Targets were all unarmed civilians, including men, women, children, and the elderly. Hunted, tortured, raped, dismembered, beheaded, and executed without mercy. The sexual assaults perpetrated on the women and girls was so sick and twisted as to defy explanation. These were not acts of war, they were mass murdering cowards, high on the drug Captagon, while they celebrated and tallied up their kills like they were in a drunken bar game on a Saturday night. I was so sickened by video images I can never unsee of what was done to babies in cribs and young girls begging for their lives. I am changed forevermore. You know, what a lot of people are saying, uh, you know, on the progressive left and a lot of these university graduates are saying, oh, it's AI generated content. Really? That's what you're going to say? AI generated content. All of this is a big what? Cover up? It's a big uh, psycho lab <laughs> virus on, on the human race to to deceive. And then and then they'll throw images of Palestinian or Hamas soldiers who have been stripped down to their underwear and arrested, and they'll say, oh, shameful, look at what the Israelites do. Look at what the Israel does to their enemies. Yeah, they might have bombs on their person, so they need to make sure that there are no bombs. And by the way, if you're going to say that the footage that Israeli shows, Israel shows about the travesties is AI, then can we say that those pictures of arrested Hamas soldiers are AI? It's just lunacy. You either embrace the true context, historical and uh, ideological context of this conflict, or you are living forever in ignorance, continuing with Dr. Phil. There is your context, Madam Presidents. Enough of what I witnessed is public, enough for you to know as you sat there smugly deflecting what had occurred. Mm. And you knew how traumatized those demonstrations were to your Jewish students who knew the demonstrators were calling for the same things to be done to them. You are leaders. You don't pick sides here. This is not about a territorial dispute. Mm -mm. It's not about oppressors and the oppressed. It's not about religion or ideology. Any agenda that was on the table October 6th is forever gone. Mm. Conversation is over. How dare you sit there and play semantics with this congressional panel when you know what was done that day and what is being supported against your Jewish student. Yeah, wow. Uh, thank God that Dr. Phil is no longer on TV. Again, like he said, like I said, he can now say things that he really believes without fear of retribution. You know, when it comes down to Israel versus someone else, you've got to remember, Christian, Israel is still God's natural born nation. They are the people that he's chosen. They are the people through which the prophets and the Bible came. They are the people through which Jesus arrived to this earth. They were God's delivery system of deliverance and salvation for us Gentiles. Okay. And he still has a plan for them in the end times. And he has regathered them, as he said, in Zechariah and in other uh, minor prophet books, he has regathered them back to the land. And now they live there and no one can take them out of that land. They have superior weaponry, superior military, superior armament, and they are protecting themselves. And then they, uh, thankfully, at least up until now, they have the endorsement of our current U.S. president. I, I do disagree with Joe Biden on a lot of things, but so far he has thrown his support behind Israel at the expense of his own approval ratings amongst uh, Arab Americans and progressive leftists in this country. I don't know if it's going to last, and he's starting to get vague about his support of Israel, but at least he says the right things at certain times. But this is God's people, 
And you have to look at history. You have to know history. Years ago, Hugo Chavez, who was the dictator of a socialist republic in Venezuela, called out Israel and called, blamed them for all kinds of false things and made the very same, same false statements that universities are saying about them now. And did you know that just a few weeks later, he developed cancer that eventually killed him in two years? Well, today something happened. Uh, this is in Turkey. The prime minister... Check this out. You won't believe this. The prime minister threatened violence. Ali London on Twitter reporting threatens violence against Israel, saying the Jewish state will suffer the wrath of Allah. And then moments later, he has a heart attack and collapses. Watch this. You are the guilty party of Israel. You are the guilty party of Israel. You have the blood of Palestinians in your hands. You are collaborators. You have a contribution to every bomb that Israel has thrown into Gaza. If you get rid of tor the torment of history, you will not be able to get rid of the wrath of Allah. Now watch this. I greet you with all respect. Calls on the wrath of Allah. And then, boom, down. Down he goes. That happened today. Symbolic, if you ask me. And a warning. The Bible is very clear. You touch these people. You harm these people. God's going to harm you. Those who bless you, God says to Abraham, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And you say, does that give, does that give Israel the, the right to do whatever they want? No, no, not at all. Because with great privilege comes great responsibility. And they have been judged by God historically time and time and time again, and judged by secular governments and in many ways and in many forms. And I am not even going to pretend to guess or even make any postulation about this past attack. Was it judgment? Was it God involved? I have no idea. To make that statement, you have to assume the level of uh, biblical authority as Isaiah himself. And I am not uh, Isaiah and I am not Jeremiah. I am a Christian pastor. And my job as a Christian pastor is to pray for God's peace in Jerusalem, pray for their salvation and for the salvation of Palestinians and those people in Gaza and even Israel's enemy, that God would turn their hearts to Jesus. But when it comes to these geopolitical conflicts, when it comes to outright terrorism coming for civilians, you have to be a blind bat, not to call it for what it really is. It is a heinous act of, of des desecration of the human race, and we should speak up and defend Israel. Now, America's universities and their leaders have failed, and they are continuing to fail our young people. The question has to be asked, and this is what I referenced earlier. Now let's get to it. How did American universities get so darkened? And I would like to get to the main idea of this episode of the deep end women in leadership over in instruction teaching and shaping american minds or young people's minds in general is not a good thing let me first share some biblical instruction for you and then we'll do some contextual uh, instruction as well because some of you are going to get offended right away I, I i'm one of those outlying evangelical pastors who still believes that god has reserved pastoral authority spiritual authority in the home and in the church for men there is no such thing as a female pastor there are females who will pretend to be pastors but biblically speaking it is not appropriate now let me just show you from god's own word how he stipulates that when females start to rule and lead, it is the judgment 
of God. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. This is a judgment pronouncement upon the people of Israel. Here's what God says. I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them, and the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow, and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. Then he says in verse 12 of that same chapter, my people, infants are their oppressors, Look at this. And women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. It's not a very popular passage. And this view is totally not popular, even within the evangelical subculture in which I live. But God is pretty clear that when women start to take leadership over men, it is a sign of God's judgment upon that culture. And that's where we are. Now, let me just show you a couple more facts about the progressive left shift of the institutions of higher learning in our country over the last seven decades. This is from the independent.org publication. It tracked the political ideological shift in universities since the 1960s. And we'll talk about why it's the 1960s in just a moment. But you can see, by the way, from 1997 to 2018 and even into 2020, the university system has made a very hard left turn. So what you're seeing is an increased acceptance and praise of liberal progressive far left okay not liberal liberal is the bad word for it because liberal used to mean the free exchange of ideas now it's far left intolerance for anything else other than their viewpoint kind of teaching in the institutional system and it's shifted radically and most importantly predominantly since 1997 now why does this matter because instead of traditional forms of research leading to problem solving answers to life's hardest questions the university now serves to simply ideologically shape a child's soul instead of train a child's heart and mind now according to the most recent and this is from this article on the independent.org according to the most recent available uh, surveys from the ucla higher education research institute liberal and far left faculty members grew from 44.8% in 1998 to 59.8% in 2016 and 17. Liberal and far-left faculty no longer make up a plurality of American academics. They are now the clear majority. The primary driver of this leftward shift is the growth of faculty members who identify as far-left. Since 1992, this group has expanded from 4% to 11.5% of all university faculty, and some far-left faculty tripled in size and now sit at a parity with all conservative faculty. Now, I have this personal experience in my church because here's what I do. I pastor people who raise children and then they send those children to universities uh, under the conclusion that if they send them to these institutions of higher learning they will become valuable members of society and live the american dream and what happens is they send their kids to these secular universities and then they come back and they wonder what happened to their child in fact there's a great comedian that you got to watch his name is jim brewer and there's some Awesome stuff on YouTube that you can find from this guy. But he discussed this in his dynamic. Uh, he discussed this dynamic in his special from 2021, I think. He sent his daughter away to college, and she came back for uh, Thanksgiving break and refused to eat any of the ethnic food that he wanted to eat over the break for fear of cultural appropriation. He literally said, "What happened to you? Everything was racist. Everything was the patriarchy. Everything was misogynist." And he basically says, "I lost my daughter because she went to school for half a semester at one of these universities." And so what happens, and I've seen this in my own church as well, is one of three or four events happens. 
that I have witnessed. Number one, the child goes to these liberal institutions and they adopt a temporary mindset aligned with far left political idealization. And then they come back around after college when they enter the real world and they got a job and they got to work for themselves and start paying taxes. Number two, and this I have seen happen as well. In fact, one of my next door neighbors actually is having this happen right now with his son in Georgetown University. The child goes to these far left institutions, sees the far left indoctrination and lies and just goes along with it and puts on a facade of embracing the ideology just to get the grade, get the degree, and then eventually get the internship and the job and then live how they want as a conservative in the public marketplace. So that's number two. And so, you know, you can take that route if you want to. It's up to you. But number three, I've seen this happen. The child stands their ground, fights openly for conservative or biblical views, in which case they are either barred from entrance to university or struggle for good grades because the the oppression of the left-wing ideologues is a real thing. That's what is up for, that's the stakes that are involved here with your child's future. And we have to even go deeper because it's beyond just the judgment of God upon a culture that has walked away from him that we are seeing. We have to go back and look at the 1960s even more deliberately. A generational assist, a shift occurred in the 1960s. No one doubts that. It was the sexual revolution. It was the civil rights movement. It was kind of like a generational shift in politics as you had a young JFK beat Richard Nixon, kind of like an establishment, older generation uh, presidential candidate. And everything kind of got turned upside down in the 1960s. So I found, we found on the team here, this article at JSTOR. Now, if you don't know what JSTOR is, JSTOR is a digital repository of academic journals and publications. So basically, it makes all the academic journals and publications available to you online, and you can go and research these things yourself. Here's this article that I found. Going to college to avoid the draft, the unintended legacy of the Vietnam War. It says, between 1965 and 1975, the enrollment rate of college men, listen to this, men rose in the United States and then fell abruptly. Many contemporary observers uh, attributed the surge in college attendance to draft avoidance behavior. In other words, not going to war to fight for your country. Under a policy first introduced in the Korean War, the Selective Service issued a college deference uh, uh, deferments to enrolled men that delayed their ability, eligibility for conscription. These deferments provided a strong incentive to remain in school for men who wanted to avoid the draft. For example, the college entry rate for young men rose from 54% in 1963 to 62% in 1968, the peak year after the draft. Moreover, both the college entry rate and the number of inductions dropped sharply between 1968 and 1973, the end of the uh, Vietnam War and the draft being phased out. Now, technically, the article says men who had held college or other deferments were eligible for induction until age 35. Since few men be between the ages of 26 and 35 were ever drafted, however, men who were able to maintain a college deferment until their 26th birthday could avoid service altogether. Those who finished a bachelor's degree before reaching the age of 25 could apply for a graduate deferment until 1968 and could apply for an occupational and dependent deferments throughout the period from 1965 to 1970. Let me summarize what that is saying. The Vietnam War was a very unpopular war, and the merits of that war can be argued elsewhere. That's not the point of this show. But what it did was it presented young men with a choice. Go to war and fight for your country, for whatever that means, concerning, concerning that war, or find ways to avoid fighting your country, fight, fighting for your country. Now, what do you call a man who is unwilling to fight? The word begins with a C. <laughs> Coward. Yeah. 
a man who will not fight for his country, who will not fight a battle that needs to be fought, who will not be responsible when called up to serve in civil service for his, for his nation. That man finding ways around the laws to get out of going to war in any estimation is a coward. This is from the powerlineblog.com. I love this article. I encourage you to read it. How and when did universities become so crazy left? It says there are lots of reasons for this and no single reason, but most everyone talks about the 1960s, America's cultural revolution, and this is true, but on a closer work, I think we can make it about more specifically about one of the greatest examples of the law of unintended consequences from a well-meaning social policy, the student draft deferment system in the 1960s. Thousands of young men who might not always have gone to remained in college and so and did so to avoid the draft, and many thousands of them continued to into graduate school, that's so that they could teach in school to continue avoiding the draft and newly radicalized departments, especially sociology, which literally does nothing for human development, expanded to absorb the draft dodgers. This was also the beginning of the great inflation and dumbing down of the curriculum as sympathetic professors wanted to make sure that students kept their academic standing clear. The grading system, a popular account had in it was revised a excellent b good c average d below average and v for vietnam after getting a fill of new leftism this draft dodging cohort shaped a new generation of the left professorate that has been replicating itself ever since thus more than 50 years since the draft ended the draft deferment system may be the largest single cause of extreme campus leftism we have today and that I have to agree with. That is the assessment. When men do not fight for their country, they become weak men. They are weak men who end up leading young people in the institutions of higher learning. And perhaps you're not convinced. But remember what I said about this, this, uh, this chart here uh, on, on the screen where 1997 was kind of like the takeoff point for left-wing indoctrination and left-wing shift in universities? What happened in 1997? There was somebody that was just re-elected to the presidency, and he was the good old draft-dodging intellectual who had oval, who had oral sex in the Oval Office while letting Osama bin Laden escape capture during a government shutdown, and he never faced any real consequences for it. The Bill Clinton effect had a singularly important message to the lefties. One side of the political aisle has effectively raised up a generation of American leaders who will protect their own at all costs, and now they are the leaders of business and corporations and state governments, and they're in the federal government. And that's why Claudine Gay has over 700 supporters in the Arts and Humanities Department at Harvard supporting her presidency regardless of her duplicity and her plagiarism. Why does this happen? Ladies and gentlemen, and ladies in particular, in case you think I'm on your case, I'm not. Because here's the point that I'm making. Liberal men create weak cultures. And cultures where liberal men lead, uh, children are coddled and not challenged. That's what's happening in the universities. And cultures where liberal men lead, women have to take on the roles of men. Because if a man will not fight, well, who is going to fight? Somebody's got to fight for the family. Somebody's got to fight for your country. And if you consider that men avoided fighting to go into the educational system, it does not, uh, it should not shock you that that educational system is now weakened by men who refuse to fight for truth in that context. Years ago, I ran across this article from Vox.com, and for Vox to publish this article is shocking in itself. But here was the title of the article, quote, I'm a liberal professor and my liberal students terrify me. <laughs> That's the title from 2015. Now, I have followed this article since its uh, publication back in 2015. 
I am old enough to remember that this article was actually taken down off of the Vox website in 2018. And I went to go find it and I found it again. It was literally put back up. Kind of interesting that the article came down and then was put back up. But anyway, the, art, the professor states, and the name there, Edward Schlossler, is uh, not the real name. That is a pseudonym for the author of this article. Anyway, they say, I'm a, liberal, I'm a professor at a mid-sized state school. I've been teaching college classes for nine years now. I have won minor teacher teaching awards, studied pedagogy extensively, and almost always score highly on my student evaluations. I am not a world-class teacher by any means, but I am content, conscientious. I attempt to put teaching ahead of research, and I take a healthy emotional stake in the well-being and growth of my students. Things have changed since I started teaching. The vibe is different. I wish there was a less blunt way to put this, but my students sometimes scare me, particularly the liberal ones. And then later on in the article, the person writes, now boat rocking isn't just dangerous, it's suicidal. This isn't an accident. I have intentionally adjusted my teaching materials as the political winds have shifted. I also make sure all my remotely offensive or challenging opinions, such as this article, are expressed either anonymously or pseudonymously. Most of my colleagues still have jobs, who still have jobs have done the same. We've seen bad things happen to too many good teachers, adjuncts getting axed because their evaluations dip below a 3.0, grad students being removed from classes after a single student complaint, and so on. You see what he's talking about here is that the inmates are running the asylum. In other words, the students are making the call as to who will educate them and what they will teach them. And the reason, the way that they're making the call is that they push back against these professors. And because the professors are weak men who didn't fight for the country, they can't fight against a student with opposing views. Consequently, this kind of meme sums up the situation in college universities right now. And if you're listening only, we have a teacher with... Uh, one plus one equals two on one side of the chalkboard, and then one plus one equals three on the other side of the chalkboard, and the teacher is saying, now there is this competing theory. Yeah, liberal men lead to weak cultures, strong men lead to strong cultures, and we need to fight for strong men, because I am laying this at the feet of weak men. I know this episode started like I was going to go after the women, but I'm not going after the men. Men need to be men. They need to be uh, providers, protectors, caretakers of the weaker sex. Yes, Women are weaker. They are physiologically weaker. They are physically weaker. Their bones are weaker. Their muscles are weaker. And if you don't believe me, just watch who's winning all the awards in cycling, boxing, MMA, and university swimming. It's men posing as women. And this kind of talk right now will get me suppressed on YouTube, but I will say it anyway. More evidence of the weakening of our children's mind and the institutions of higher learning. Even the Catholics are caving to this nonsense. An all-girl Catholic college is now accepting men who identify as women. And it is just absurd. This is St. Mary's College. They are now going to let men who want to pretend to be women come to their school. Unbelievable. Now, this is the Catholic this is a Catholic school, and you would think that the Catholic bishops would say, wait a second, not so fast. The president of the school is a female, Katie Conboy, and she said that admitting men who identify as women encompasses our commitment to operate as a Catholic women's college. Really? Have you read Catholic doctrine on sexuality and biology? Because it's there, and wouldn't you know that the local bishop, who is a man, is actually opposed to the new policy, and I wonder if he will win the battle. Because this is a fight. This is a fight for truth. This is a fight for just basic understanding of human sexuality. And it's a fight worth having. It's why I do this show. It's why I have this channel. Another example of the weakening of the American mind because of weak men who led to strong women taking over the university and educational system. Up in Seattle, there's a high school where a student failed a quiz for answering two questions wrongly. The questions were, only men can get pregnant, true or false. He said true. He was 
corrected on that question. And all men have penises. He said true. And the right answer should have been false, according to the female teacher in the history class. This is a history class. Now, the question must be posed. Why in Seattle high schools are history classes having questions about men getting pregnant and who has a penis? <sighs> it's just mind-blowing to me, but it is part and parcel with the cultural rot in the institutional system of our country. And I do lay the blame at the feet of men. The church is no better in many cases. Uh, Protestia reporting about this particular female pastor. The title of the article is Woke Patrick says Jesus was xenophobic, hurting and not his best self when he called the woman at the well a dog. The, the article or the sermon itself is misspoken because Jesus never called the Samaritan woman at the well dog. He called the Syrophoenician woman a dog as a way of testing her faith. And uh, this person here on the screen is... Uh, Pastor Amanda Hambrick Ashcroft of Middle Church in Manhattan. And we do have the video evidence from Protestia. Here is her reinterpretation of Matthew's gospel story. Watch. Keep shouting, send her away, the disciples say. He doesn't send her away. But he answers rather piously, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, making clear that she is outside his target mission. Remember, she's not Jewish, she's a Gentile. And at this point in his life, Jesus hadn't come to realize his inclusive ministry to all. <laughs> but not giving up. News to me. W now blocks Jesus with her body, kneeling before him. A move that was powerful, but still very smart. Not outrageous enough to merit retaliation. This is an incredible reinterpretation of biblical text. Um, bowing before Jesus is now blocking him, taking authority over him. Um, and now she, this Syrophoenician woman, is charged with instructing the Lord of glory that he should be more inclusive. <laughs> uh, continue. She's still playing by the rules of the social, religious, and cultural order while simultaneously pushing their narrow limitations. Mm. Lord... Help me, she screams a third time. But now, W pulls another fast one on him. She responds to his insult from her context. Isn't it amazing that this woman was able to pull a fast one on the person that the Gospels report was able to read the minds of every single person in the room. But the Syrophoenician woman pulled a fast one on the Lord of glory. In his context, people don't keep dogs in the house. They're not revered. But in hers, dogs are beloved members of the community. <laughs> so by saying that dogs even eat the crumbs, she moves the story from one of scarcity to abundance. Uh, no, in the pagan world, dogs were never beloved members of the family. That is a modern invention. But go on with your inaccurate historical context. Jesus, we've got so much food, we have leftovers. And our dogs, who we happen to love, get some too. She resists denial by speaking from her own cultural context, her unique place of identity. And guess what? Her boundary-crossing, script-flipping, brilliant use of culture and context caused Jesus to jump course, huh? to change. Huh. There is enough, Jesus, she teaches, even for the other, who is outside even what you think is outside. Uh, Jesus was fully aware that the uh, outsiders, i.e. the Gentiles, okay, not those with their own presupposed personal identity markers, 
but the Gentiles were going to be welcomed into the church. That's what he says in John's gospel when he says, I have sheep of all outside of this pasture. I must go and save them too. No, he was not informed by the Syrophoenician woman. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was testing her faith in the story of the scriptures, even in the Old Testament narrative, where Isaiah repeatedly talks about the Gentiles coming to the glory of the Lord through Messiah. And even Abram's promise from the Lord is all nations of the earth will be blessed through your family. So unfortunately, Amanda, your scriptural interpretation is defunct. Not, Jesus was not taught by the Syrophoenician woman at all. She goes on, and here's how she summarizes the lesson. And this, again, all, all these evangelical guys who are letting their, pre, their wives preach and other women preach, this is the future. This is where you're going. This is where you're headed. Good luck. Watch. But a woman changes Jesus' mind. A woman helps us see Jesus' humanity. A woman changes the course of his entire ministry. And not just a woman. A woman of a different outside religion, race, culture, and status. That kind of woman changed the world. So what do we do with this Jesus? <laughs> this male, also influenced by society and the patriarchy and race, and not knowing what always to do with himself, Jesus. Yeah, you know what this is? This is reading your context into the biblical text. This woman is now taking modern ideologies from the left-wing political side of the aisle and imposing them on an ancient Jewish text, regardless of the historical contextual realities in which Jesus lived. We call this eisegesis. This is not exegesis. Isis meaning to put in Exa, meaning to draw out. And this is a classic example of bad biblical interpretation. Anyway, I have no more time for this. She talks about forgiving Jesus and letting Jesus off the hook because he was still learning too and he was having a bad day. Uh, let me just tell you, nobody needs to forgive Jesus. And I refuse to let that blasphemy continue on my page, on my channel. So when you have pronouns in the bio, that's a big red flag. Back to the point, scripture holds man accountable. He does. God holds man accountable. In the garden, when, when, when Eve listens to the uh, serpent, when Eve eats the fruit first, when Eve hands it to her husband, guess what God does? He shows up and he questions the man. He says, what did you do? Where are you? Where, who told you you were naked? Why didn't he go right up to the woman and say, what'd you do? How'd you let this happen? Uh, that's exactly what God does. He holds the man accountable for the woman's failure. And then in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3, he says, it says that the, 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 the judgment on Adam is, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, curse of the ground because of you. By the way, read the biblical text in Genesis chapter 2. The man, not the woman, got the law to not eat the, the fruit. The woman hadn't even been created yet. So the law was given to the man. The man was supposed to rule and subdue. He was supposed to lead his wife into the word of God, and he didn't. He followed her into the deception of the devil. This is why Jesus shows up as a man, as our second Adam, as the true Adam, who doesn't follow his wife. He leads his wife and saves his life, who doesn't follow her into sin, but takes his wife's sin upon himself and dies for her in her place and bears the punishment for her sin. Jesus is the anti-Adam, the one who looks out for his wife, not the one who follows his wife. And this is why Paul stipulates in 1 Timothy that those who oversee the church should be the husband of one wife, men. 
This is why Jesus came as a man, raised up men to lead, and Paul calls on men to lead. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul, Peter calls on men to lead and live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. These are very offensive terms in our modern society. I get it, but guess what they are? They are biblical terms, and we need churches who hold to the scripture, not to culture. Case in point, we have another example of uh, churches following the culture because they have no strong leader. And this brings me to a discussion about Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia. This is their Christmas service, and they performed a Buddhist dance during their Christmas service. Uh, we got to watch it just so you know what's going on in this evangelical giga church in Sydney, Australia. Watch. I'll show you some moves. What this has to do with the birth of Christ, I have no idea, but would just continue to watch because I just, I can't believe what they're doing. Anyway, watch this. Do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you and I'm done for you always. Kiki, do you love me? That's a Drake song, by the way. Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you and I'm done for you always. Yeah, so that goes on and on and on. And uh, for those ignorant of the details of this dance and the motions, they symbolize Kuan Yin, the goddess in Buddhism of compassion, mercy, and kindness. According to legend, she vowed never to rest until she saved all unhappy beings. But realizing that she couldn't do it as she was, the Buddha gave her multiple heads and arms in order to save so many. She is uh, frequently depicted with varying degrees of arms and heads, but always sitting on a lotus flower while wearing a headdress of some kind. And this song, again, was an Asian-inspired version of Drake's song, My Feelings, which, if you listen to the real version of the song, has a bunch of F-bombs and end bombs and sexually explicit language. Why, Hillsong? What happened? Guess what happened? Weak leadership happened. Now, when you have a weak leadership in the church, you have the, the redefinition of the church. And that brings me to news in pop culture about a movie that's coming out to teach you how to be Oh, I don't know, less evangelical, less concerned about winning souls from eternal damnation and more inclusive and accepting of all kinds of people. Rob Reiner has partnered with professing Christians to produce a movie called God and Country, exposing the evils of Christian nationalism. And he tweets out about this Christian nationalism is not only a danger to our country, it's a danger to Christianity itself. So this movie is coming out in February. I want you to show I want to show you the trailer. Yikes, with the names involved in this trailer, watch. America and Christianity are like baseball and apple pie, and we celebrate them together. That's Phil Vischer, developer of, creator of VeggieTales. I was 16, 17 years old when I became a Christian. I'm an evangelical minister. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a Christian nationalist. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Because that's what most Americans are. Uh, so this is really Christian just a hit piece Christian. on politics. Um, no, it isn't. 
we should be blazing forth as a countercultural example. And instead, we're leading the charge of malice and division. Christian nationalism uses Christianity as a means to an end, that end being some form of authoritarianism. Being a Christian <laughs> is about the values of inclusion. Christian nationalism is certainly not based on the values of the gospel. God wants America to be saved. They're told over and over and over again that you're in danger. You need to fight if you don't want to lose your country. We are in a civil war between good and evil. This is not a movement about Christian values. This is about Christian power. What happens to the people who don't believe this stuff? We are on the precipice. God is on our side. We're taking our nation back. The thing that keeps me up at night is that we lose democracy. Does that seem possible? Yes. Okay, so... So, so basically, it is a, a political hit piece on Trump and his supporters. And I will be the first person to say and think and tell you that it is an abominable, abominable, abominable image of Jesus wearing a MAGA hat. Of course, <laughs> that is disgusting and disgraceful. But let's just call this movie what it is. It is a uh, liberal Democrats uh, advertisement for Joe Biden in 2020. And a lot of Christians are on board with it, such as Russell Moore, who is now the executive director or executive editor of Christianity Today, and David Fran French, who is pretty much a useful tool of the political left, uh, who still continues to call himself an evangelical Christian. And I don't know if you also noticed that one of the scenes from the trailer uh, it featured John Tiggs. He was one of more than 250 concerned parents who showed up to a public hearing at the Loudoun County School Board meeting. This is back, I think, in 2020. He had voiced opposition to the board's transgender policy, which allowed boys to use girls' bathrooms if they felt like girls. So before he could speak, the school board chairwoman, Brenda Sheridan, called off the meeting and basically asked everybody to leave. He refused to leave because it was not an unlawful assembly. It was a public gathering, and he, was, he deserved the right to speak as a citizen and taxpayer of that county. Thankfully, he stood his ground, but he was arrested and he was um, trying to exercise his free speech right at the public gathering. The circuit court above the local court acquitted Tiggs of all charges. He is now free. Turns out he was just being American. But now that's called Christian nationalism. You see, according to agnostic Rob Reiner, in partnership with Russell Moore and David French, if you stand for boys should go to boys rooms and girls should go to girls rooms, you are now a threat to democracy. If you believe that life begins in the womb, you are now a threat to American institutions. That's what you are. And one of the persons also featured in the documentary is this woman, Kirsten Dumas, Dumas of Calvin University. She came out as gay affirming a couple of years ago. So here's what it is. What's Christian nationalism according to the political left? That if you are pro-life and pro-family, you are a threat to the very nature of our society. And I just want to say very clearly, Christians Please don't fall for this nonsense. Don't let culture define you. Let Jesus define you. He is the one that you follow, not Trump, not Biden, not the left, not the right. We follow scripture as scripture is meant to be interpreted. And what we need now more than ever before is strong men to lead churches in strong biblical doctrine, leading people, including women and their wives, in the ways of truth. I am not saying that women are less valuable. They are not second-class citizens, not in any way, shape, or form. They are equal partners in God's gift of life. By the way, in the, in the um, 
creation mandate of Genesis chapter 1, God gives both to the male and the female the right to rule and subdue over the earth, over the animals, to flourish, to cultivate a world that benefits all of humanity. But the spiritual leadership of that culture belongs to the male. And I will die on that hill because I think it's worth fighting for. And our current social moment is screaming for more people like me to do just that. Would you support me in doing it? And choose one of the plans that help us out here on the Tim Hatch Live channel. The 10, the 20, the $30 levels, they all have different benefits and I will put that bigger on the screen or it's not that much bigger, but it's there on the screen for you. Thank you for those of you who signed up. We are getting more and more subscriptions every week. There's an insider community already chatting and being part of that. Join the community at patreon.com slash Tim Hatch Live. When you support us, it goes to Project Rescue, uh, 20%, uh, 10% goes to Project Rescue, 10% goes to the American Bible Society, we do above and beyond the 10th. We go 20% on this channel because we want to be a river of God's blessing. There's a lot more to talk about and it's going to be on the extra content for subscribers. And we're going to get to that now. But other than that, have a great night in Jesus name. I hope to see you at the deep dive tomorrow night.